Hi, it's John Bernadovich, your host of the H Like a Boss podcast. Welcome to season three. I've embarked on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals with the hope of finding what it takes to do HR like a boss. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. On today's show, super excited to have a special guest, Alan Stein Jr. on the HR Like a Boss podcast. I met Alan through research I was doing on what it took to do amazingly awesome HR, and he did a really cool featured piece on Kobe Bryant that was showcased on YouTube, and he's got a ton of stories around basketball greats and high performers. So, Alan, welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. Oh, it's so awesome to be with you. I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. All right, Alan, for those that aren't uh, basketball gurus and uh, what they call those gym rats, so to speak, and don't know all about your work, you mind telling us a little bit about who you are, where you're living these days, and the work you're doing? Absolutely. Well, I guess in reverse order, I'm an amicably divorced, proud father of three. Uh, I've got uh, almost 13-year-old twin sons that are in seventh grade and an almost 11-year-old daughter in fifth grade. Uh, I absolutely love fatherhood. Uh, but as professionally speaking, I am a former basketball performance coach, converted keynote speaker and author. So for the last six years, uh, I've been teaching organizations and businesses and folks in HR and, and executive leadership staffs how to apply the exact same mindsets and rituals and routines as elite level players like Kobe Bryant, Stephen Curry, and Kevin Durant. And I'm having an absolute blast doing it. So this podcast is in perfect alignment with the stuff I love to share and talk about. That's awesome. Gosh, I have a first question I want to ask you based upon what you said, but I ask all my podcast guests the very first question, the same one time and again. So to keep to my brand on the H Like a Boss podcast, we'll get to all the KD name dropping references to Curry and Kobe. But uh, first and foremost, would you mind giving me your perspective, Alan, on the purpose of human resources? With all of the work that I do, I absolutely adore the human resources space because I consider them both the glue and the gatekeepers to the culture of the organization. You know, it is it is ultimately their job to keep everybody else focused on the team's mission and, and core values, make sure that everyone feels safe and included and respected and valued and appreciated. You know, they're they're, they're often the ones that kind of have to do the behind the scenes work during the unseen hours to keep the team performing at a high level. So I'm a huge fan and advocate of everybody that works in the HR space. Awesome. And I know you have a ton of experience in working with extremely high performers. As you said, a lot of HR professionals and those in the business world do these things without a lot of great acclaim. Although you, you name drop some professional athletes that you work with, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. So tell me a little bit about how you got into performance coaching and specifically in basketball to start off. So basketball was my first love and I fell in love with the game at five years old. And, and I'm so grateful that here four decades later, uh, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I'm, I'm thankful that I've been able to not only uh, make a living, but build an extraordinary life around something I'm so passionate about. Um, for the first portion of my life, I was a very dedicated basketball player, uh, was able to play up through the, the collegiate level. Uh, I played at Elon University down in North Carolina in the mid-90s. Um, when I was graduating from Elon, I realized I did not have what it took to play the game professionally. 
but I still wanted to stay really close to the game that I loved. So I decided to become a basketball performance coach, which meant I focused on strength and conditioning, fitness, nutrition, and the important component of mindset and the ability for players to approach the game uh, with a competitive and winning mindset. Um, and then after doing that for just over 15 years, I started to experience some burnout uh, on the basketball space and the training space. And I decided to make the leap over to what I'm doing presently, which is the corporate keynote speaking and writing and taking all of those lessons and strategies and mindsets and disciplines that I learned from the game and some of the world's best players and coaches and now translate those to folks in the business world and show them how they can utilize those same strategies and principles so that their teams and, and their team members can perform at a, at a world-class level. Yeah, that's interesting. How did you go through that transformation from working at such a high, with high profile clients, you know, names that you don't hear every single day that people work with to deciding I'm, I'm burnt out and I'm going to make a, a career shift. I get that a lot with uh, individuals that I, I counsel at times. They want to get out of whatever they're doing because they don't feel the passion for it anymore. So do you mind sharing a little bit about how that all came to be for you? So a seed was planted in me about 10 years before I actually made the leap over to the corporate space. Uh, I was working an event for the NBA um, where they had brought in the, the top high school players in the country um, to be coached and mentored by uh, former and current NBA coaches and players. And they brought in a motivational speaker named Walter Bond. And Walter uh, talked to the group for about 45 minutes. And I just remember being mesmerized. I mean, he was a, a masterful storyteller. He was charming. He was funny. Um, he made us think. He made us laugh. He even made us cry. He took us on a real emotional journey over that 45-minute presentation. And I just remember sitting there thinking at that time, I want to do that one day. I don't want to do it right now. I love training basketball players, and I love what I'm doing. But one day, I want to do that. And that seed was planted. Fast forward a decade, when I started to experience burnout about being in the actual training space, uh, that was time for that seed to, to bloom. And I decided to go ahead and make the leap uh, over to the corporate keynote speaking space. And the very first thing I did was I reached out to about a dozen friends and colleagues of mine um, that, that were working in the corporate space. And I just started asking them question after question. You know, uh, what are the biggest challenges you face? What are the biggest pain points your team has? What are the areas that you think that if you all could improve both individually and organizationally, that you would see that reflected in your, your growth and your revenue and your profits? And thankfully, you know, they were all kind enough to, to write back very thoroughly and share a lot of these things. And um, I found that many of the things that were tripping them up and that they were having issues with were things that I felt that I could add value to. These were things that I had learned in the basketball space, you know, things having to do with leadership and accountability and building culture, um, communication, you know, role clarity. So the things they were sharing were things that I did believe I could add value to. So I knew there was, there was room for my message and there was a need for my message. Um, once I knew that, then I asked those exact same groups uh, if they'd allow me to come speak to their teams for free. That, that I just needed to, to get some reps and practice crafting a, a keynote talk or a workshop and practice telling stories and teaching lessons about these exact challenges and pain points they were having. And most of them were kind enough to give me an opportunity. You know, some of them said, hey, you can talk to our four-person sales team during their lunch break. You know, these were not big stages with bright lights. 
but it was an opportunity for, for me to share my message, work on my message, and to start to make an impact in the space. And that's really what kind of jump-started it, and it, it started to build very quickly and progressively after that. Congratulations. Yeah, it seems like you attacked your speaking and keynote and authorship uh, career path change like you were recommending and counseling your your customers and clients uh, to, to perform at a high level kind of that incremental change and, and having a plan and, and, and understanding where your, your gaps and, and development opportunities are. So that's, that's really cool. So I, I have to go back. I mean, we, we have some parallels. We probably just discovered I'm, I'm a uh, division one college athlete as well. A golfer at Kent state university, go flashes. I know Elon uh, heard the name before and uh, had aspirations of being a professional golfer for about a weekend after I won a golf tournament, but that's not what this, this show is about. I pivoted to a professional career in entrepreneurship and uh, haven't looked back since. But I'm curious, before I get into the the specifics of how all this relates to HR and business, how did you get Kobe Bryant as a client? So Kobe was not actually a client of mine. I worked okay. at event for Nike. I actually did some events for Nike. And one of those events was the Kobe Bryant Skills Academy. So Nike actually hired me as the performance coach for this event where Kobe was going to coach and teach and mentor uh, the best high school and college players in the country at the time. This was back in 2007. So that started because I worked at two different high schools here in the Washington, D.C. area, which is where I still currently reside. And, and both of those programs um, were Nike elite schools. They were heavily sponsored high school programs by Nike. Uh, Montrose Christian, which is where Kevin Durant graduated from. So I had a chance to, to start working with KD when he was 15 years old. And then DeMatha Catholic High School, which has produced over a dozen players currently in the NBA, uh, the most notable of which is Victor Oladipo and, and Markel Fultz. So because I was working uh, you know, at, at the elite high school level, Nike took notice and had me come work some of these summer skills academies. And that's what got me kind of in the back door to observe firsthand uh, the Black Mamba, Kobe Bryant, and, and his, his just unbelievable commitment to his craft and how relentless he worked towards mastery of his craft during the unseen hours. Yeah, no, that was an awesome story. And uh, so sorry for the... Uh... The slip up there, understand the fact that you had that relationship with Nike and we're working at that high school level that makes a ton of sense. And you were just fortunate enough to work with some pretty high level elite high school programs that produced, you know, some of the greatest players that we may know or names in the NBA. So that's really cool. Well, so HR like a boss it came out of this idea of when I when I first started this presentation called HR like a boss, I have a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, thanks to my brother Andy, who listened to their their tapes and uh, records back in the day when I was growing up. But this idea of amazingly awesome, and I know if if, if you're really familiar with the human resource professional, uh, it's a really tough job. It's a grind. Uh, they have a lot on their plate. They have they have, they serve two kings at times, as you may call the employer and the employees, and they walk that fine line. And it's not an easy job. And some that aren't as passionate about it or don't know the profession as well, may not say super great things about HR. And so this idea of doing HR like a boss came out of a title and a presentation, kind of like as you were describing, and then it turned into a podcast and into a book. And I'm just so curious, Alan, based upon the high level performance athletes you've worked with, as well as the work you're doing as a keynote speaker and author, what do you think it takes to be amazingly awesome for someone to describe you in your work in that way, what do you think that takes? 
before I answer that directly, I want to take one step back because I, I, I'm so enthralled with this, with, with the HR space in general. And, and you just alluded to the fact that many times they are the unsung heroes, you know, that, that the vast majority of their work goes on during the unseen hours and that they have the difficult task of, as you said, serving two kings uh, simultaneously. It's, it's often a thankless job. You know, one of the analogies I make uh, many times on stage is I, I always make sure to acknowledge the, the, the AV team. You know, when I'm on stage and you've got the bright lights, the, the group that is the sound engineers that are making sure that everything is working properly while I'm on stage. I mean, I'm indebted to them. I mean, they're technically by definition in the background, but their entire job is to make sure that I can step on stage and, and deliver to the best of my ability. And I always make sure to acknowledge them and to show them thanks and appreciation. And, and I usually say, you know, to the, to the audience I'm speaking with, you know, when is the only time that you notice that the AV team is even here? And most folks say when something goes wrong. And I said, yeah, that's when you notice that they're here. In fact, if the AV team does their job flawlessly, this entire event will go on and you won't even know they were here. And I said, think about that. The, the success of their job relies on being invisible to some degree, that the measure of a job well done is that no one knows you're there. And I said, think how challenging that is, which is why as a speaker, I, I am indebted to them and I want to acknowledge them. And as an audience and as participants, on the next break, you guys should walk by and give them a fist bump or a high five because they are so integral to the success of this event, and yet we often don't acknowledge them or know they're there. And, and I think many times HR plays a very similar role, that, that the only time they're brought up is when someone is disgruntled or something doesn't go well. So it really and truly is a thankless job, but they are the glue that holds everything else together. I mean, I can't you know, understate the importance of HR in an organization, especially one that is growing rapidly, where you're, you're onboarding new team members and assimilating people to the culture and training and developing. So I just wanna say again, how much respect and reverence I have for people that are willing to work a job that is primarily behind the scenes and doesn't often get the headlines or the accolades that say the sales team gets or the leadership or executive team gets. So massive fist bump and high five to everyone in that space. Now, in order to be elite in that space uh, and to be you know, exceptional and awesome in that space, you have to take pride in that role. You, you have to star where you are and realize that you have chosen a field and a vocation and a, a role on the team that may not get the acknowledgement and accolades of some of the other positions on the team. And you have to be okay with that. You know, uh, very similar to uh, the offensive line on a football team. You know, the quarterback gets all the headlines and, and all the praise, but if that offensive line isn't blocking for the quarterback, it's gonna be a long night for them. And so first of all, you have to take pride in embracing your role and starring in that role. And then you have to go above and beyond to, to add extra value, you know, to do things that are beyond what's written in the HR job description to help serve both of the groups that you just mentioned, employer and employee. Um, and when you take personal pride in your ability to make a maximum contribution to both of those groups, and you truly care about both of those groups, then there's no doubt in my mind, you, you, will, you will be awesome at your craft. That was great. I hope the HR professionals that are listening on today's podcast understood and heard, Alan, what he shared, the fact that your role sits behind the scenes at times. It's somewhat very thankless. 
and one that you don't get recognized all the time. And I, I got to take this opportunity, Alan, I'm going to show on the screen. If you're listening to the podcast, you can't hear it, but part of the HR Like a Boss brand is to build a recognition program for those doing amazingly awesome HR. And we're going to build this plaque and recognize those, those throughout the community because it is a thankless job. And not many people are like you that recognize the AV crew at your speaking engagement and call that out. I have never been to an event where a speaker did that. And I've seen a lot of speaking engagements and I may steal that from you a time or two. No, please, please do. And, and to that point, when I, I do a, a speaking engagement for an individual company or a workshop for a group, and I'm talking to the executive team, uh, or, or maybe I'm talking to some of the sales professionals, I tell them the same thing. You know, when is the last time that you've thanked the members of the HR team uh, not because they did something in that moment, but just as a general sense of gratitude to say, hey, I appreciate what you do day in and day out. And I probably don't tell you that enough, you know, whether it's uh, whether you can walk by their their cubicle and literally give them a high five or you can write them a handwritten note or just even send them a quick email that just says, I know enough people don't thank you, but our our organization would not be what it is if you weren't doing your job to the best of your ability. So we really appreciate you. And, you know, I, I've always lived by the mantra, uh, that which gets praised gets repeated. Um, you know, the, the time to thank folks in the HR space um, is before you start to have some of the issues and, and before they have to start putting out some of the fires, which is part of the job, is, is make sure they know how much they are valued, respected, and appreciated within the organization. And, and I found that when sales professionals and, and leadership teams um, are proactive in doing that, it really increases the performance of the HR team and of the overall organization as a whole. Cool. Well, Alan, give me a second to do a shameless plug for our sponsor of the HR Like a Boss podcast, which is near and dear to my heart. Willery has supported the formation and continues to provide resources for us to put on this podcast. Willery's purpose is to empower people and is focused on supporting mid-sized companies with their direct hire search and temporary staffing needs, along with the unique client-side HR technology and advisory consulting practice. If you're struggling to find talent in your HR or payroll teams or not getting a return on your investment within your HR tech, please visit willery.com to learn more. All right, Alan, let's continue on. There's this idea that I saw in one of your presentations and preparing for today that reminded me of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, this little small incremental changes to, to create greatness. And I know that was a part of the story that you did on Kobe Bryant, his obsession with the fundamentals, the most basic aspects of a basketball move or that. So do you mind telling me some of the stories you've seen or the impact or your general belief on this idea of small incremental changes and improvements can result in profound change? For sure. Well, two come to mind immediately. One is that, that Kobe Bryant signature story that I tell almost every time I'm on stage um, was the first time I met him in 2007. I got to watch one of his really early morning workouts. And as a younger coach, I, I was surprised that he was doing such basic movements. I mean, he was really drilling down on the fundamentals of the game. And that surprised me. I mean, it was you know my assertion that in 2007, he was the best player in the world. So I expected to see him doing some drills with some flash and some sizzle. And instead he was just drilling down on the fundamentals. And when I asked him about it later that day at camp, uh, his answer was very direct. And that is the best never get bored with the basics. 
you know, that the best are always working towards mastery of the fundamentals of their specific craft during the unseen hours. And that really shifted my perspective because I, I left that interaction thinking, if the best player in the world is not too good to be working on the fundamentals, then I certainly am not. And, and I make sure that in any area of my life that I'm trying to excel, whether it's being a keynote speaker or being the father of three, I constantly remind myself and get clarity on what are the basic building blocks to excellence in this specific domain and how can I work relentlessly towards mastery of them during the unseen hours. So this concept of always you know, sticking with the basics uh, and working on the basics uh, has been pivotal to my life's philosophy. Another one that I learned was when I had a chance to meet at the time, my idol, uh, Coach K, the former head basketball coach at, at Duke, um, you know, someone I'd revered my entire coaching career. And I had a chance to meet him at one of our practices when I was working in the high school space. And, and I talked to him for 10 minutes. And in that 10 minute period, he made me feel like I was the most important person in that gym. I wasn't. The kid he was recruiting that day was the most important, but he made me feel like I was the most important. You know, he, he had a warm smile and made great eye contact. He had great open body language and he had a genuine and authentic curiosity and was asking me very sincere questions about my, my childhood, my past, my training philosophy, you know, what I was doing with the team. You know, he made me feel like I was the most important person in that gym. And, you know, I, I was raised very old school. Uh, I was raised that when someone goes out of their way to do something nice for you, you, you handwrite them a thank you note. Uh, so I went home that night and I handwrote him a thank you note that basically said, Coach K, you have no idea how amazing it was to finally meet you. Thank you so much for your time. I'll always be rooting for you and Duke. And I figured that would be that. Well, crazy enough, three weeks later, I go to my mailbox and I actually get a note back from Coach K. I know those listening on the audio version can't see this, but if you're watching on video, you'll see that on the front of his stationery in his iconic handwriting, he just wrote me three sentences that ultimately changed my life again and my perspective on life. You know, he basically said, no, Alan, thank you for your time. I, I really enjoyed meeting you and love what you're doing with the team. Keep up the great work. And I think most people would agree that that three sentences on the front of a stationary that probably took him 60 seconds to write. I think most people will agree that is a little thing, especially when you look over the course of our entire life, 60 seconds is absolutely a little thing. But I let folks know that, that this little thing had a profound impact on my life. You know, this little thing is the reason I wake up every day with an attitude of gratitude to tell as many people as I can, I appreciate you. Thank you. Job well done. This little thing is the reason that I am personally relentless about returning voicemails, emails, and text messages. Because I figure if somebody of Coach K's stature can make the time to handwrite me a little thank you note, you better believe, John, I can call you back. You better believe I can respond to your email. So this little thing made a profound impact on my life. And, and, and that's the message that I want to resonate you know, with your listeners and the folks in the HR space. The little things that you do to serve both employer and employee can have a massive impact on them as individuals, but absolutely on the organizational culture and performance as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that story, Alan. It reminds me of two things specifically. Took care of my dad the last three months of his life as he was battling pancreatic cancer at 81 years old. 
And I'll never forget, and that's part of the reason why I'm writing this book. It was a, it's a tribute to my dad and a business executive and my mom who died a year earlier, an artist. Mm -hmm. uh, I cannot draw or paint for a lick. I can't play a guitar or a piano unless you want to clear a room, but I have some ideas in my head about how to do business. And, and I thought writing a book would be a way to showcase that to them. While my dad was here, Alan, I had about 45 people come to visit him, friends, family, coworkers, and to a man and a woman on their way out, which I knew uh, after a few visits, oh gosh, this is going to be the last time my aunt's going to see my dad. And, and the list went on and they all told me how my dad made them feel. It wasn't necessarily his experience as an executive or the things they accomplished professionally or personally. It was just how my dad made them feel, a genuine, real human being who had a fortune to have a very, very high profile position uh, as the head of a, a large hospital system in our community. And he made a difference by just how he treated them as individuals and human beings. It reminds me of Coach Krzyzewski, which... My dad was so proud of him being of Polish descent uh, and them also serving in the in the armed forces. Uh, my dad always loved Coach K. And, and I have to say, too, you remind me, I, I was I was I won't say I was blown away because I know people do that and they're capable of it. But the, the masses don't normally respond. Uh, the ones that you feel like don't have time for you, like a Coach K or in my mind, an Alan Stein Jr., who I looked up to for your work and the things you were doing and your interaction with me made a difference. The fact that you're on this show made a difference. And it reminded me in the golf parallel of, of Arnold Palmer. He did the same thing with anyone that would win a tournament. Uh, as he got later in his life, he would write those individuals a two or three sentence postcard, congratulate them on the success that they had. And here's this iconic figure, right? Bigger than they will ever probably be in their career, taking time out of their day. And that little thing made such a big difference. So awesome story. Well, well, thank you. A, a few things come to mind. First and foremost, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss, but your mother and father sound like two remarkable people that had certainly left their, their thumbprint on the world. Uh, second, uh, I came to later find out, you know, that, that Coach K has written thousands of those types of thank you notes. And uh, I, I had a talk with, with one of his assistants and it's funny, as much speaking as I do and as many stages as I'm on, inevitably I'll give a talk to a, a thousand sales professionals and two of them will come up after and say, I got a note back from Coach K. I had a similar experience. And it doesn't make me feel any less special. Uh, in fact, it makes me have more respect and reverence for him uh, that he was able to do that. And when I talked to one of his assistants, they said that, that he practiced something that a friend of mine named Neem James coined as systemized thoughtfulness, that Coach K would take one day a week and one hour out of that one day, and he would block it off, no meetings, nothing else. And he would spend that one hour handwriting thank you notes to all of the people that have reached out to him or have, have added to his life in some way, shape, or form. And, and I love this concept, and I think it's one that folks in the HR space can absolutely adopt of systemized thoughtfulness. It's systematized because you're blocking off one hour every single week to do nothing but, but reach out and, in this case, you know, show your thoughtfulness through a handwritten note. But the person receiving it doesn't feel like they're one of a hundred or one of a thousand or whatever the case may be, they feel like the entire world stopped for you to write them that note. So it doesn't detract from or undermine um, the, the way that it makes the person feel. But when you block off an hour and you go heads down and do nothing but write thank you notes, you can crank out 30 to 40 of those things in an hour easily. And imagine doing that every single week 
every single month, every single year, it'll really start to stack up and you'll make a, a very personalized uh, impact. So I, I think him doing that is huge. And then one other thought back on this theme of how you make people feel. I do believe one of the tougher parts of the HR job is most time employer or employee reach out to you when something's wrong. They come to you when they're disgruntled, when they're in a little bit of a mood. So you know, your ability to make them feel heard, to make them feel understood, to have empathy and compassion for why they're disgruntled or why they're upset really sets the tone for, for your relationship with that person. And it's, I think it's human nature to deflect and defend and to blame and complain and make excuses and, and to think to yourself, you know, I can't believe you're coming in here to vent to me. I didn't have anything to do with this. Why are you just coming in here to unload on me? But if you can actually take a step back and try to see the world through their lens and have empathy for their frustration, make them feel safe and heard, uh, it'll change that entire dynamic. So I, I think that is a skill set that the best, the most awesome folks in HR have worked to develop. They understand that unfairly, they're going to have a lot of people dumping their dirty laundry on them. And it's their job to make those people feel good by the time that interaction is over. Yeah, no, I love that. Well said. It reminds me of this, this hot topic of empathy, kind of post-pandemic. We're all in this same boat together of this very unique, uh, transformative global pandemic. And the idea in the HR field of empathy, empathy leadership became really, really critical. And it was a big paradigm shift for a lot of people. I don't think many of them were prepared for that and couldn't be genuine in the process. You just cannot turn that, kind of flip that switch, so to speak. One of the things that came out of it for me, which you mentioned, is this idea of empathetic action. It's one thing to be empathetic and put yourself in someone's shoes, but it's something else to, to hear them out, to repeat back what they heard, to, 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 to give them the tools of mirroring and other skills, and then actually doing something with it so that a month later, they were like, oh my gosh. Alan was actually listening to me when I came in my into his office and was like on my rant about this troublesome employee or this circumstance with a manager or this issue in our cafeteria. And the next thing I know, a month later, he did something with it. So he heard me, he made me feel good, and he did something with it, right? What a novel concept. Yeah, but I mean, you said it so perfectly right there, which is why at the very beginning of our conversation, I said that I consider people in HR as both the glue and the gatekeepers to the culture, because what you just said right there, those that do that, you know, empathetically listen and empathetically act, they're the ones that, that keep everybody playing nice in the playground. And they're the ones that that make folks feel safe and valued and, and, and included in what the team is collectively trying to do. So we can't undermine the importance of them doing what you just said so perfectly. All right, Alan, I got two more questions for you and I'll get you out of here on the HR Like a Boss podcast. I've been waiting to ask this question to an expert on this subject and I believe you are the right person. So man, have I, have I really propped up this question? I hope you're not nervous. All right, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I have been an, an incredible, how do I say it? Fanatic for sports. I grew up with them as a kid. It's how I created fellowship with my siblings and my neighbors and my friends. I played soccer and baseball and wiffle ball and football and you name it, all as a kid. That was part of my culture. And then I was blessed to be a little better than most at golf and played that through my, my high school and college career and still do that to this day. And as a relationship of that, I tell and correlate a lot of stories in my golf or in my 
what I'll call sports career to how it relates to business and create this correlation, this parallel of what, what does sports have to do with business? And I know oftentimes it's overused uh, primarily by me, I can say as a male in somewhat of a female dominated industry, which is human resources. The last time uh, the DOL came out and said three out of four individuals that are in HR are female. I'm not saying females don't like sports. That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm trying to do is say, Alan, where are you at in the scheme of how does sports prepare you for your life and business? And where are the correlations between the two? Because you were an athlete, you work with athletes. Now you made this career shift into serving, I'll call it the corporate performance world. And I'm just so curious to get your perspective on if you see that parallel and what it means to you. Oh, not only do I see that parallel, I've built my entire career on that parallel and, and do firmly believe um, that the life lessons that we can learn through sport have such high utility that they transcend not only business, but really every single area of our lives. I mean, it's, it's the primary reason that I encourage my own three children to participate in sports. I mean, I don't, I don't have you know, these visions of grandeur that my three children are going to be professional athletes. And I'm not even putting any pressure on them to be collegiate athletes. You know, if, if that's a goal that they have and something they want to pursue, I will support them and encourage them. Um, but I want them to participate in sports so they can learn things like respect and accountability and, and, and personal responsibility and what it means to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, how do you become the type of teammate that you want to play with? You know, there's so many lessons. Um, so I'm a huge advocate of sports, but I also recognize that there are many audiences that I speak with that don't have the same affinity or love for sport than I do. So I just kindly and casually remind them that, you know, the reason I use sports as my vehicle is because it was what I was very passionate about. And I know that each and every one of them have something they were very passionate about. So whether it was music uh, or the arts or, or theater or graphic design or, you know, anything in between, these, these principles still have high enough utility that they, they apply. You know, if, if all three of my children who currently all play youth basketball, if they decided to stop playing basketball today and one of them wanted to play the piano, uh, one of them wanted to act in the school play, uh, and one of them wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, I would be very supportive of all three of those endeavors. And I would tell them that the stuff I've been teaching and preaching and modeling for you isn't going to change because what I was teaching you to be good at basketball are the exact same things I'm going to teach you to be good in the school play or as an entrepreneur or to play the piano. Things like repetition is not punishment. Repetition is the oldest and most effective form of learning and skill acquisition on the planet. So if you want to get good at anything, you need to get in repetitions. You know, uh, mindset, the importance of, of your perspective on the world around you, the role your habits play in your performance and in your overall joy and fulfillment for life. So yes, while I can easily make the connection between sport and business, and that is a, a pillar of what I do, I make sure that I don't want to leave anyone out. And if there's ever anyone in my audiences that don't love sport as much as you and I do, I still make sure to connect the dots that they realize the recipe and the blueprint is not going to change. These are, these are fundamental principles that help us work towards being the best version of ourselves. Yeah, that's really cool. What what a, what an incredible response to a question I've been asking myself and how I relate that 
to an audience that maybe doesn't have that same level of passion. And I think, I think you're spot on to be the world's greatest graphic designer. You have to have that right mindset. You have to have repetition, repetition. You got to love what you do and, and, and you got to be competitive and there's got to be certain as aspects of, of being a great athlete to being a great graphic designer or a musician or artist or whatever the case is. Sure. Thank you, Alan, for that, that articulate answer. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so So let's let's simplify this, because I actually believe complexity undermines execution. I think as a, in general, as a society, we all tend to make things way more difficult than they need to be. You know, if you're listening to this, I assume you're in somewhat in the HR space, uh, or at least within a few degrees of it. And you need to ask yourself, what does excellence look like as an HR professional? Like, like get crystal clear on, on the HR professional that you are striving to become. And then ask yourself, you know, what are the, the, the habits and the skill sets and the mindsets and the core values that I need to work towards mastery of and develop to become that, that version of, of HR excellence, to be awesome in the HR space? And then how can I incorporate that into my daily life? How can I work on these fundamentals so that I can continue to grow and evolve and matriculate up towards becoming that HR uh, a superstar that I aim to be, you know, within your role in the organization, ask yourself, you know, how can you align your strengths and your gifts and your talents? And I know you have them. How can you utilize those to make a maximum contribution, not only to the, the HR role that you have, but to the overall organizational culture and performance as well? You know, how can you make a maximum contribution? You know, if every single member of a team wakes up saying, my goal today is to make the biggest contribution towards our vision and mission that I can within my role, I mean, performance would escalate. Organizational performance would skyrocket. And all we have to do is ask that very basic question. And then as you said so perfectly before, we have to act upon it. It's not enough just to ask the question. Uh, we actually have to, to make forward progress and move in that direction. But, you know, ask yourself as an HR professional, what does excellence look like? What do I need to develop in order to be that example of excellence? And how can I incorporate that into my daily routine? And how can I make a maximum contribution every single day? You start checking those boxes off and you will absolutely be exceptionally awesome as an HR boss. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, and and one of the reasons why I, I showcased your your story and your video of uh, Kobe Bryant was that, and the idea of the HR fundamentals are assumed within the the business community. You have to know those. You have to become obsessed with understanding them. And some of the best HR professionals I work with, they know them inside and out. And you talk to them about them, and they and they keep they keep studying, you know, time and time and time again, looking for updates and ways they can improve. I think that is just super fun, fun, fun awesome, awesome time. So th thank you so much, Alan, for being on the show. I'm going to get you out of here on this. The book is called HR Like a Boss. The, the podcast is called HR Like a Boss. We've been talking about amazingly awesome HR. I'm so curious. What do you think it takes to do HR Like a Boss? I think it takes self-awareness. I think it takes empathy and compassion. I think it takes pride and your ability to do a job that we've already established can be thankless at times. Um, and I think most importantly, it takes a very high care factor. You need to care about your work. You need to care about your organization. You need to care about their core values and their mission and their vision. You need to care about the groups you serve, both employer and employee. You need to care about doing the best job that you're capable of. And if you can approach it with some of those uh, those pillars, um, 
then I have zero doubt that you'll be exceptionally awesome. Thank you so much, Alan. You validated my two main pillars of doing amazingly awesome HR. You got to love what you do, like in a passion, love for it. And you got to own every single aspect within your span of control. And mm -hmm. we covered a lot of things on today's show. I actually ran out of paper on my notebook on all the great things Alan said. So give me a minute, everybody take out your own pad of paper. I'm sure you probably mentioned a few of these or already jotted them down, but you first start off, Alan, by describing the purpose of HR as the glue and the gatekeepers to the culture of an organization and the importance of human resources to focus on the team's mission. You mentioned words like leadership and accountability and role clarity. Wow, is that important, especially as we're watching uh, any sort of sporting event and the importance of all five players on a basketball team understanding their role or all 11 on a football team or even the five people in your HR function, understanding how important benefits in HR and recruiting are to one another. You use the term attitude for gratitude. I love that. I, I, I love to give more compliments than I like to give criticism and recognize those that are doing even an above average job. Doesn't have to be the amazingly awesome job, but they're doing their personal best. You talked about this idea of taking personal pride in your role and understanding where you can be a star, where you can be a star performer and go above and beyond the adding value inside of your organization to your people, to your company, and to your community. You talked about the basic building blocks and working relentlessly in these unseen hours, understanding what those building blocks are of great fundamental HR or of a great fundamental turnaround jumper from 20 feet. There's a bunch of elements inside of that that's really cool. And you, you and I both echoed this idea of how you make people feel and considering the importance of it and building systematized thoughtfulness throughout your day like you learned Coach K did. I think that's really cool. A couple others, repetition is not punishment. I love that. As someone who played the piano and thought that it was as a kid, gosh, I hated restriking those keys every time. It wasn't my thing, but it taught me that I, could, I should find something else, that that repetition wasn't quite as burdensome and a challenge. Uh, making sure that you understand the role your habits play in your success, right? Remember the roles that those habits play, coupled with skill set and your mindset and your ability to be great, and also a way for you to maximize your contribution and whatever you're doing. I could have said a bunch more, but I'm trying to keep the show to under an hour, Alan. Great job. Thank you so much for being on the show. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it, especially for myself individually and our listeners. Oh my goodness. It was all my pleasure. And you just gave a masterclass on what it means to be an effective, active listener. Uh, your, your ability to kind of summarize and give the cliff notes version of our, our conversation was spot on, incredibly helpful. And I'm, I'm honored that you found those things valuable enough to write down. Thank you for listening to the HR Like a Boss podcast. If it resonates with you, please leave a rating or review, or better yet, subscribe and share with a friend. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.